0: to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. A couple of years ago, my family and I, we were in Dubai for a vacation. And so one of the highlights of the trip was to spend a day In the desert. Now, I've not been into a desert before that. I've seen photos of deserts. I've watched movies where they pitch camps in the desert. But it was our first visit to an actual desert. And we spent a whole morning there. We were on the sand dunes and all. But it's just amazing. As I looked around me, it was just bare land. It, It was just a piece of wasteland and it was very, very dry. We have to put moisturizer. And my point is this. The desert or the wilderness is a very dry place. Say dry. Dry. Long time ago when we first visited uh, the US, my wife and I drove from LA to Las Vegas. Have, Have you done that drive? It was a long drive right from LA. Now, after you... Uh, drive out of civilization for four hours was nothing, all right? To your left and to your right were just cactuses and Joshua trees, right? And there was nothing else. You look left, you look right, and you drive for five hours. That's if if you drive slow like me. If if you drive like fast, like someone else, it would take you three hours to get from LA to Vegas. But it was a long drive, and there was nothing to your left, nothing to your right. It was just barren. Looked around me, and I and I thought to myself, it would be terrible to be stranded in the desert like that. It was a lonely place. Nothing. It was nothing. No people, no campsites, nothing. It was just a long drive. It was a very lonely place. Now, friends... The term wilderness experience, we've all used that before, whether it's in our Christian life, whether it's going through uh, a challenging season financially, we say we're in the desert, or in the wilderness, it was very dry. But the term wilderness experience rarely, if ever, means a time or place of leisure. I wouldn't say, I'm going through the wilderness, yay, no, right? I mean, it's rarely a place of leisure. In fact, there's no oasis. By definition, it's, the wilderness is a remote environment devoid of all outward appeal, hope, or comfort. It's also a hostile place where few would we, would willingly go through it. In fact, most of us actually would, would resist going through the wilderness yet there's exactly, if you read the Bible, where God sent His Son. If you read the Gospels, before Jesus began His earthly ministry, after He was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, He came out of the waters, and the voice spoke from heaven, and the Father said audibly, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, if I said that to my son, and said, Titus, you're my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and I smile at him, right? He would be looking back at me expecting to, to have a free trip to Disneyland or a new Xbox machine, right? Device or a new phone. So, but the Bible tells us after the Father said that to Jesus, the next verse in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, the Holy Spirit then drove Jesus into the wilderness, to be tempted of the devil. Now, that's a strange picture. You're my beloved son, I'm pleased with you. And the next thing is, okay, Holy Spirit, please give Jesus a drive to the desert. And He spent 40 days, no food, no water, being tempted continuously by the devil. See, Jesus embraced this setting as a as positive rather than a negative experience for, for His life. And so friends, this morning, we need to look closely at the truth of His example and to consider whether we will allow God to use our time spent in our wilderness experience as a means of knowing Him in the greater measure. Uh, amen? Because like it or not, we all go through dry times. We all go through hostile challenging season. Amen? There will be times when we feel lonely. Even when we have a big family, look around you, you feel like nobody understands what you are going through. You feel alone. And we cannot schedule a vacation to the desert. Friends, listen, it just hits you when you least expect it. When you come home one day and your parents are going through a separation, it hits you in the face. When you go to work, whistling and you receive a letter on your desk saying that you have been retrenched and your wife was just pregnant with uh, your first child. You cannot schedule a wilderness. When you thought you were the most popular person in school and you became the subject of cyberbullying, young person. When you thought you have got everything going for you and then your wife wants to walk out from the marriage. See, nobody can schedule the wilderness. And Jet says, Amen. But what's interesting as you read the Gospels is Jesus continually returns to the desert. Let's read Luke 4, verse 40 and 42. This was after his first experience. He has come out. He went to preach. Many people were healed. He saw miracles, signs, and wonders. And then Luke, Luke chapter 4, verses 40 and 42, please, on the screen. Okay, and this is what the Bible says. After seeing all the signs, wonders, and miracles, Jesus laid hands on those who were demonized, set them free. And rebuke them. And then he preaches in Galilee. You read right through. And then in this verse, and in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, his fame was spreading abroad. And then Luke 5, verses 5, 15 and 16 says, However, the report went around concerning him and all the more. And great multitudes come together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself, the Bible says, often, say often, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. It's interesting. You, you, you were getting popular. You could have built a powerful ministry. You can give out your, your name cards. You are the most uh, favorite person in town. And yet the Bible tells us Jesus again headed for the sanctity of the wilderness. See, he understood the need to establish God as his only source of strength. Not popularity, not how many people like him on his Instagram account, not how many uh, Facebook friends he has, not how famous he was, whether he's on the front page of the magazine. Friends, he understands that God has to be the sole source of his strength. Somebody say amen. So many of us do not want to embrace what Jesus has clearly shown us that the wilderness is not to be avoided but rather should be accepted and understood. And this morning as I go into the message as a believer, ask ourselves this question. So why did Jesus keep going back to such a harsh and uninviting place? Could it be that God was revealing something of His strength in these dry places? Was Jesus receiving a hidden treasure from God which the natural mind could not comprehend? See, I believe, church, that God wants to bring us, you and I, to a place where you begin to understand why you go through hard times. Amen? In the Bible, there are many examples that that illustrate what God can accomplish in the wilderness. If you go back to the Old Testament, God actually led His people into the wilderness. When Israel was held captive in, e- in Egypt, God said to Moses, we must go straight to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us go on a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. That's in the NLT version. So three days out from Egypt, they were in the middle of nowhere, bone-dry countryside. It was far enough for them to be out of reach from everything. And little did they know that the wilderness would become a place of incredible worship, provision for the children of Israel. Here they would witness God's power, His strength, His might as He fought their enemies on their behalf. But if you read the story in context, Pharaoh made a mistake. Pharaoh, who represents the natural man, because Egypt represents the world, Pharaoh, the king of the natural man, only saw a weak, beggarly people trapped in the, in the desert, confused and directionless. In fact, he said in Exodus chapter 14, verse 3 that he said to, to the commanders to gather together the chariots, the weapons, and go after Israel, for they are entangled in the land, and are wandering in the land, and the and the wilderness has shut them in. See, Pharaoh wrongly interpreted what God was doing with his chosen people because he could not see God in the wilderness. And you know the end of the story. His entire host of horsemen were defeated in the Red Sea and Israel triumphed. What's my point? Listen carefully. If you look only with a natural vision, if all you can see is a dry place, if all you can see is, is hostile and dark, if, if all you can see is loneliness, the, the wilderness can seem an unlikely place to find God. That's my point. If you're like Pharaoh, all you can see is just the wilderness. It's, it's a it's a It's a place for losers. We'll trap them there. We'll kill them there. If that's all you can see, then you would avoid the wilderness and you would never know the supernatural pathways, pathways revealed to the believer who embrace this dry and hostile season in their lives. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the four things that God can do and God will do in the wilderness. There are many points, but I'll just go through four this morning. And I pray by the end of this message that you will embrace all that God wants to do in your life. And if you're going through a hard time this morning, at the end we want to pray for you. We want to ask God to refresh you in the wilderness. We want to ask God to touch you afresh. We want to ask God to show you His purpose in this season. But You don't have to waste a hurt. You don't have to waste your season. Come on church. You can embrace it and allow God to do everything that He wants to accomplish in your life. The wilderness can take you to a new level. That's what, that's what happened to Jesus when He first was driven by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness. Verse 14 in Luke chapter 4 says, And He emerged from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went in there, just got baptized, was filled, but when He came out, He was empowered. See, it's different when you are filled and when you are empowered. And he began his earthly ministry. See, I am of the opinion, friends, that you cannot have a powerful life and a powerful ministry unless you embrace all that God wants to do in the wilderness, in your life. Four things. Number one, let's read one verse from uh, Leviticus chapter 16, please. It's a long verse. Okay, let's read. Verse 21 and 22. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live God. And you, you know the story. This is in the day of atonement. And, and this is what God instituted. And confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in who is in, the, in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself through a remote area. I can't see here. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now, you might be wondering, what is this goat? Lad, this priest. Basically, God was instituting on the Day of Atonement a way to deal with sin. Now, you have to understand that before that, when the tree of Israel sinned, there was no way out. So you might think, this is terrible. Now you've got to do the goat thing and the killing thing and the high priest. and But before that, sins weren't atoned for. Are you still with, with me? Before Exodus, before Leviticus, when God's people sinned, they were trapped. But now they have a way out. Now there's a sacrificial lamb. Now they can have the high priest lay his hands on uh, the, the the goat and transfer. The sinfulness of their lives into the goat, and then there's a strong one who will come and bring the goat out into the wilderness. So, what's my point, friends? In the wilderness, I believe. Point number one: God deals with sin in the wilderness. In this desert place, God dealt with the sins of the people. You might think, I'm living behind the garlic and the onions and the Egyptian food and my tent, but before that, they were in their guilt, they were in their shame. But in this dry place, God dealt with the sinfulness, with the sins. In the same way, God uses your wellness experience to go after hidden or unacknowledged sins. Friends, it's really okay if God confronts you. Or rather, my Heavenly Father corrects me and disciplines me than to allow the devil to, do, to have access into my life because of unconfessed sins in my life, because of areas in my life that are not right with the Lord. Um, amen. So in, in in His mercy, He takes you there, not to harm you, but to deliver you. In the wilderness, God gave His people the assurance that their sins were forgiven. You now this is in the Old Testament. And every year, the, the holiest day of the year was the day of atonement. And every day before Jesus and before captivity, they would bring the God and there be the high priest there, he would, slit the, he would kill the God and place his hands to transfer the sins of the nation, and then the goat has been, will be led out into the wilderness. So for hundreds of years, they were doing that. It was still good news. It became a tradition, and we all thought that that's, wow, it's so legalistic. But before Jesus, that was what they need to do. But at least their conscience gets cleansed once a year. At least they know that their sins were forgiven once and for all, once a year. And then comes Jesus. Hallelujah. And He became the sacrificial lamb for us on the cross. And once and for all, we are forgiven. Amen. So be reminded when you're going through the wilderness, ask God, God, apply your blood in my life. Like David, he was praying, say, God, seek me and know me and see if there's any sinful ways within me. Why am I going through this season? God, will you just deal with my sinfulness? Transform me from the inside out. God deals with sin in the wilderness. When I was growing up, I go through when you were younger and when you think a lot more and we are a little bit more self-contemplating, right? That you go through these seasons where you wonder why nobody cares, why no one likes you. And so I go through that at 15, 16 years old. I was self-pity, victim mentality. I was just going through like what all teenagers go through. Right? If you're still going through it at 50 years old, then something is wrong. Hello, but when, but when you're a teenager, we go through seasons like that where we feel like nobody cares. And I, uh, and I was going through a dry time at 17 years old. Dry because my cell group was against me. Sad, <laughs> and I didn't didn't want. I want to go for cell for a few years, not for a few months. Excuse me. But I was feeling dry, thirsty. I was angry with people. Now, do you know anger is a sin? I, I dislike my cell group leaders. I didn't like the establishment, the cell group system, the structure. It's all out to like ostracize people like me who thinks a bit more, who's a bit more vocal, who likes to challenge You know, someone's thinking. I mean, that's me growing up. I'm still like that, huh? by the way. Hello. And so... But I, you know the stories if you've been, a, if you've been interested long enough. I found, I found a job in a Christian bookstore, and I've got a wonderful supervisor that constantly challenges my attitude towards God, towards church, towards His people. And every day she would be praying for me in the storeroom because I, that, that I'm doing such a, I did such, such, such a great job in the store that she will be in the room praying she's an intercessor. I praise God for intercessor to be a supervisor, right? supervisor who's in, who is an intercessor. So she'll be praying, and then she'll come out, she'll give me words, man. She'll be like, Daniel, you, sh- you must forgive. You have to let go. It was go for sale. She gave me money. And friends, in that season, for a few months, God developed an understanding within me about the body of Christ. And that leaders are imperfect people, and they were all fallible. And my eyes have to be on Him. In the wilderness, I was going through a dry time. I was like trying to run away from the cell. I sat behind, like some of us. No, I mean, I'm just kidding. At the back, and I was just like, okay, I'll go to service, I'll leave. I'll we all go through that, especially when we're angry with God, angry with people, and we take it out on. God's people, because we represent God in the sense, right? So I was like that. I was uh, sit sit there. I put a long face. People ask me why it's nothing, you know. I mean, right? And then we just leave. And I leave after service. I go home, and my for four or five months. But God dealt with that thing within me. It was the beginning of you know a journey of understanding that God's perfect people are imperfect. But it gave me a love for the body of Christ. He helped me see the good even in my enemies, my adversaries. 17 years old. I thank God for that season. Thank God for that season. He dealt with sin. See, sin is not like when you kill someone, but sin is when, when you miss the mark, right? Yes, hello? Am I preaching to the right crowd here? And even in the way I see people, I can miss the mark. If I'm always looking at the negatives in people, I'm missing the mark because we're all in God's likeness. I should be able to see the gold in you as, as God is developing uh, the, the rest of you. Right, Mike? <laughs> I'll see the gold in you. But if all I see is negative and if all I see is just uh, your terrible, God has got to shape the way I see the church. He dealt with sins in my life. Number two, let's read Exodus chapter 16, verse 15, please. Exodus 15, so when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Now, do you know the story? They were in the wilderness and they've got no food to eat and God sent them manna from heaven. Are you with me? And every morning when they wake up, they'll walk out of that tent and behold, there was free bread. Gardenia man has delivered. Every morning, they'll pick them up, they'll eat and they have got no lack. Friends, number two, God reveals His provision in the wilderness. Hallelujah. In the wilderness, God displayed His awesome power to provide for His people. Before that... They have to labor for their food in fact if they don't work they don't carry bricks don't build the palace for pharaoh they've got no food they were slaves they have to earn labor to be fed but now in the wilderness as they you know as they were out there they've got no food but the difference now is god's with them and god revealed to them that his jehovah jireh he's god their provider hallelujah And we need to lay hold of this truth that God provides for your every need. Turn to the person next to him and say, God will provide for your every need. Not just need, every. every Not just financial need. Not just... What else? What needs do you have? Emotional needs. But every need. The Lord has promised to care for you. In fact... When Jesus was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, He was speaking to a group of worrisome people. Do you worry? We worry a lot as people. It's part of the, the fallen nature of men. We wake up in the morning, we worry for our children. We go to work, we worry for our job. We don't do a good job, we worry for our career. We're always worrying. We worry that we've got no bread on the table. We're worried that we'll be re- retrenched. We're always worrying. And Jesus knew where people was at when He was speaking to them. And He said, don't worry. And He didn't say it once. it four times in the Sermon on the Mount, which means that it's very important. He's trying to get your attention. He's, he's saying, John, don't worry. John, don't worry. John, don't worry. That's not the end. Four times, John. Don't worry. Four times. And He said, if my Father in heaven cares for the birds in the air, the grass in the fields, how much more will He care for you? So friends, this morning we need to understand, if you are God's covenanted people and you are because of Jesus, then God provides for your every need. Amen. See, Jesus fed the multitudes. Jesus cared for every single thing. You might think Jesus is a, is a spiritual leader, right? So He only cares about your spiritual needs. When you come to Jesus, He will just tell you the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes and make sure your soul is in the right place, your spirit. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus wants to make sure that you're becoming more and more like Him so He can present us as His mature sons before the Father, yes? But if you remember, as I was teaching, and there were tens of thousands on the hillside of, of uh, Galilee, He was speaking so long, like what you experienced this morning. He spoke for hours, three, four, and he was such a captivating speaker that people were spellbound by how eloquent he was and the depth of his teaching. There was no one like him. He spoke as one with authority, and so it went on for like hours. And then people start to hear rambling sound. You experienced that this morning, hallelujah. And they were hungry they have been there. And there was no food. There was no... And Jesus multiplied bread. See, friends, Jesus cared for their physical need. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus cared for every single area in your life. Your job. The happiness in your marriage. Your children's prosperity in their soul. And that they do well in school. They have the right friends. See, Jesus care. Now, it's okay to worry, but cast your cares on the Lord. Neck a little bit is fine, but... Ultimately, you would know that God cares. He could have said, just go and buy your own food. He didn't bring food. Never mind. Just go hungry fast. But Jesus cared. He says, go and buy food for these guys. See, He's attention to details. Every single thing. And then even when He was distributing food, He made sure that there was no chaos. He sat them down row by row. See, Jesus' attention to details, second to none. He wasn't haphazard. Like some of us spiritual people, okay, I'll just throw and then you'll catch. No, he sat them down. Are you with me? This is the Jesus that we know that we read about in the Bible. And he makes sure that everyone received their portion. And then Jesus didn't waste. He's uh right, you finish eating and forget about the rest. Jesus went out to collect back all the remainders. Come on. This is the Jesus that we serve. Don't believe in anyone that says if you are spiritual, you just live a life. Like Jesus was so attentive to details. And yet he fed them all. Are you still with me? He reveals His provision and He wants to do that for you. If you are going through a challenging time, if you are feeling lonely this morning, say, Jesus, I'm feeling lonely. Send me a friend. And He will. Jesus, I've got no money in the bank. I'm down to my, my, my $10. Will you provide? And He will. You have heard Andre's story, Jason's story, especially when going through like Bible school, money appearing in the bank account. And that has got no source, they can't track it to the father or it's like where did this come from? The same way Jesus multiplied food. Nowhere. Boom. And that's exactly what God wants to reveal to you in your life. The third thing, let's read First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger and asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom do you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, proud, wicked. Your heart is, you came down only to watch the battle. Now, just to give a quick context of the story. David was the what? Youngest son of Jesse. He was given the task of tending the family's sheep. And while David watched the flock grazing in the wilderness, that's what he, that's where he spent his time. For years he was just a shepherd boy. But God taught David to trust him. And when the sheep were attacked by a banned lion, God empowered David to deliver the lambs out of the mouths of the beasts. And later when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he could not understand why would Israel, such a powerful army, would let an evil giant named Goliath belittle the armies His brothers prided themselves on being men of stature and with all the. While David was looked down upon as just a common herder. So that's the context of the story. His brothers were accusing him of weakness because he was not formally trained in the art of warfare as they were. Thus, they said, Why are you here? The older brother was saying, You don't have an armor we possess. You've not been trained. You can't fight the giant. Who are you to be so arrogant and proud and say you can take down this giant? The entire armies, the generals, even King Saul was afraid of this champion from the Philistines and now you said that you can fight this guy? Who do you think you are? It was exactly what Eliab was saying. Because they could not comprehend like Pharaoh. They can't see that God was with David in the wilderness. While he was going through the mundane, he was feeding sheep. He was gra- the sheep was grazing uh, uh, the grassland. He was playing his uh, harp. And that's all they thought. This David boy is just a herdsman. He's just out there, a shepherd. Didn't go to training, the weapons, the warfare, the Sun Tzu Ping Nothing! And you know the end of the story, David picked up five stones with God as his source of strength, confronted and killed Goliath as his brothers looked on. And to their amazement, they saw God use a common shepherd to defeat an enemy which had terrorized the entire army of Israel. Friends, you may not understand it now, but God is teaching you in the wilderness what He's teaching you in the in your dry season will enable you to bring down your giants in the future. It was all preparation. When you're going through it, when it was all mundane, it was all boring, you're caring for sheep, they can't talk back to you, you can score them, all you can say is, bah. You kick them, ba. That's all they can say. And for... For a long time, he was just there. He was talking to God, and then the lions come, and he go and kill it. And the bear came, I'll kill you. You know, this is part of his response. He was going through being a responsible person. Now you might think, Daniel, I'm not like you or like Andre, like John, like some of these guys. They are changing the world, man. Look at them. They are preaching. They are doing signs, wonders, miracles. Sick people get healed. They write books. They go places. They preach. All the amazing testimonies of me going to work, nagged by my boss, being reviewed for my performance, have to go through this cycle every year. I I feel dry. I'm a Christian. I can't go. I can't go get party and drunk like the rest of my friends. And you go. I'm so bored. Friends, it's in this season where you are faithfully caring for your sheep that God is. Training your hands for war, your fingers for battle, because the day would come, my friends, where you will have a Goliath moment. It's your giant opportunity. Wow, it wasn't in my book, I' made my nose. And it will come when you least expect it. When you are just faithfully listen to your cell group leader, can you bring food to Christine? But you never know when you least expect it. On your way to Christine's house, there's a lame man begging. I oh, know, at the lift landing, he was, you said, silver and gold I don't have. Some food for Christine I have. But in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Friends, and the rest, it's history. You began your powerful ministry. Oh, oh at work. Right, you're faithfully just doing your responsibilities and your duties. And the day came when your boss had a big problem he can't solve and the spirit of wisdom comes upon you. And you present a creative solution. Friends, you have to understand that if you read the Bible carefully, promotion in the kingdom is never step by step. It's always an elevator. Read the scriptures. Daniel, Joseph, David was never slogging and was always you just step into the elevator and boom, up you go. But it's on your way to the elevator that you've got to be faithful with the small things, with the mundane. Be faithful. And you're just being faithful, doing your work. And you step in and God promotes you like how God promoted David. Amen? But He prepares. In the wilderness, God trains us for battles. Somebody say, Amen? God raises mighty warriors in the wilderness because of King Saul's jealousy drove, drove David into the wilderness, but there God raised up a small bunch, not an army yet, of discarded men who were in debt in distress and discontented. And under David's leadership, see he had to learn how to take care of stubborn sheep first. It's the same lesson huh? Taking care of stubborn sheep and 3D people discontented. in in distress and in death. (laughs) And God made these men into mighty warriors. What could have been a wasted time of frustration in his young life turning into triumph. Why? Because God used David's time in the wilderness to produce steel in in the lives of men who otherwise would have been powerless. Church, we must try by God's grace, to grasp the full significance of every difficulty God allows you in your life, allows in your life. Because through them, He will shape you into a mighty man or woman who knows how to trust Him in dark days. You're being fashioned, you're being formed to become a warrior in the kingdom. No struggles will be wasted. In time, you will look back and know that without the wilderness experiences in your life, you could have never accomplished what he designed for you in your life. We've we've all gone through dark times, challenging times, hard times, one way or another. One of my most see, I've got no problem trusting God for resources, for, for finances. I've got no problem trusting God for my children's futures. But one of the weaknesses in my life, if I could say this, is because I care for people, Now I, I care differently. I care for people's potential. And when, you, when you meet me, I'll say, what well, has God called you to What's your dream? And I'll try, by God's grace, to help you, move you to move you forward. Like, hey, please, go. why are you stuck in your job? Go and start the business. Oh, uh, this is how I'm wired. And I'll always be looking at, like, things and try to find solutions. And, the, and I went through a, one of the worst seasons of my life. I was being misunderstood by people for my zeal. This is, this, is, this is hard. I've gone through that, like, time and time again. And it gets better every time. But every time, it will still hit me the same way. And, and I'll be sunk into this state of, like, why am I doing this for uh, people? Just mind my own business. Why care? Why bother with uh, so-and-so's growth when my challenge becomes or this guy is just being negative about me? So why care? And so uh, I'll always be wrestling with like why even bother? Just do my own life. I grow, I'm progressing, I'm maturing. And so I was going through a tough season of being misunderstood by some of the closest people in my life. Through that season, number one, I chose to love, chose to forgive, And just let God fight my battles. And I tell you, friends, it's the most amazing experience because you grow through that. It's amazing that you can look at people now and there is no offense. In that season, it came to a point where I think, all right, I believe it's possible as Christians, because it was Jesus' life that we can come to a place of unoffendable, being unoffendable. I can. Do you know that harboring offense is, is a trap? It's a snare, the Bible says. And it's so easy for Christians to be offended. pastor didn't smile at me, didn't shake, shake, didn't shake my hands, and my cell group member forgot to call me out for dinner. I mean, we get offended by the smallest thing, right? To the big things. I walk into a place, no one greet me. You know, and even big pastors offended didn't give me the 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 honor that i deserve (laughs) someone they call me pastor call me by my name (laughs) how dare you even god calls me reverend (laughs) (laughs) i'm on my way to become a bishop you don't even know your church 50 people my church five thousand. you even call me we all go through it we get offended People leave our church. We'll curse you because you're leaving the, the, the green pasture to somewhere else. There's like, you know, and people, this is the world we live in. You leave your job, your close friends at, at work start saying, wow, you are terrible. But I've been your loyal friend for years. We're talking about I help you get promoted and now. Right, we all go through things like that, right? Don't we? Offenses again and again and, and again. And as I was going through that, you know, I said, God, I don't want to waste this hurt. Can you just say this prayer? Whenever you are going through a hurtful season in your life, don't waste the hurt. Just say, "God, I don't want to waste this." Do you know that we can be like Jesus? Don't waste the don't waste the, the scraps. Bring them all back and say, "God, let the let these scraps feed me." Amen. Be strengthened by these seasons in your life. And I believe through that season, there's a few times, uh, but I believe I passed. The test, in the last one. Uh, God actually brought me to a place where I think, by God's grace, I'm, un- I'm-, I'm unoffendable. I think it's a worthy goal. I, I-, I feel that as Jesus, which is why He can say to the people who crucified Him, right? Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they are doing. Can we say that? Or do we say, God, call out fire from heaven. Judge them. I want some... Roasted soldiers for lunch? No. But that's, but that's what we do, though. right? Outwardly, we say, oh, I forgive you, I forgive you. But then, you no, know, when you leave the hall, uh, you eat your friend for dinner. You talk, you talk about them, you roast them, you cook them, you add spices. Until and, and, and you, you talk it all out and you toss it like you're doing your... Low hey right? And then you say, wow, very good, and you eat it. That's what we do all the time. Talk about people, talk about them, and you talk until you're shook and all that. Wow, finally. That's not God's will for you, man. Because it will come to a, and it will bring you to a place where you are disgruntled, you are angry, no one's right, you are always right. And that's not the likeness of Christ that He wants to form in you. Amen. So through hard times, He will strengthen you by removing those areas which produce weakness. He will remove those areas which produce weakness. You know, one of the most amazing verses in the Bible, it's not in my notes, about Jesus is this. He says this, the devil is coming to sift me, but he can find nothing in me. What a thing to say. The devil is coming and and he's coming to. but he can find nothing in me. I've got no foothold in my life for the devil. And that's a worthy goal. More than financial prosperity or more than promotion at your job, more than knowing that all your sins are covered, that's all great, but what about this vision of the devil is coming to tell me I can find nothing within me. Is this a lofty goal or is this a possibility? because of the grace of God. My last point. Matthew 3 verse 1. It says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. My last point is this. God will open the Word to you in the wilderness. Wow. He will open His Word. He will show you revelations in the wilderness. See, before that, you have to understand that after Malachi, for 400 years, there was silence. Between the two testaments, old and new, there were 400 years of darkness. God wasn't speaking. His voice was not heard and people start going to tradition, which is, which is why we've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Because they were trying to, to, to discern God's will. God was quiet. Guess who broke the silence? Jesus' cousin who ate Locust as his food, drink honey as his drink, and wear what skin? Leopard skin? <laughs> I was kidding. Camel skin. <laughs> and he grew up, and there God opened up his voice. God opened up his word. And this verse back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, you, you read it through in the Bible in just one simple verse, but you have to understand, friends, you must get the impact of this verse. Because before that, there was no voice. There was no... God was quiet and now there is a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist broke the silence. He, he broke through the darkness with even though a little voice, but he broke through the darkness. Hallelujah. See, he was schooled by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God in the wilderness and God's word came into his heart and by the time he came out of the desert he was anointed, he was empowered by God and through the powerful preaching of this man God was able to confront an entire backslidden religious system because John had heard the word of God in the wilderness. That's what God does when you go through a dry season. You may think, God, I'm not hearing your voice. His voice will come to you. He will em- encounter you. I want to read a verse from Psalm 74, verse 14, the King James Bible, please. Psalm 74, verse 14, King James, Thou breakest the, 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 the heads of the le- Leviathan in pieces and givest. No one speaks like that nowadays, huh? but just for this message, please humor me. All right? He g- gave us him to be meat to the people inhabiting in the wilderness. Wow. You get this verse? Can I break this down for you? Thou breakest the heads of the Leviathan. Now, Leviathan symbolizes Satan, demons, evil powers. And the Bible says, God breaketh the headeth of the Leviathan in pieces and give us... The headeth of the leviathan to be meat to the people inhabiting in the world. What am I talking about, friends? You must understand this. In other words, the meat or the food that will sustain you through your Christian life is the knowledge and the revelation that Satan is a defeated foe. But you will only get that in the wilderness. It's a wisdom which you will be re- which will be revealed to those who do not shun the difficult places but embrace them. He giveth the heads of the devil as meat to the people in the wilderness. I tell them my most powerful experience up till date. I, I love rolling on the floor and like God baptized me in the Holy Spirit, speaking tongues. Those those were powerful. Angels wings. I mean, I love all that. You know, I love the powerful experience, the encounters. Souls getting saved, 400 people squeezing into a small hall, receiving Christ. Now, those, those were all powerful, but my most powerful experience was, in, was during the driest time of my life. I tell them, my most powerful experience was in our old place in 50 Macpherson and we had James Jordan, the Father Heart guy, right? You know, but I love his heart. He is just a wonderful man who loved the Father, who loved God, there he was, preaching about the Holy Spirit being a piece of the Father that were not just adopted, but were actually sons. And then he gave a call, and uh, I was on stage, and James came over, and he gave me a, a brotherly hug from the side. And he said, my dear brother, receive the Father's embrace. And I tell you, I lost it. I was in the Spirit on the lost day, and I was... I was in the embrace of the Father, and I felt like a little three years old, safe, secure, and everything about me left, oh, my need to prove myself, my need to be secure, my need to have a reputation, everything just left me. And then in that place was the Father's love and His security and our purpose and identity, and everything just came into me, and I was crying. And when I left that experience, I became a different person. It's almost like I was born again, again, again. (laughs) The last time I experienced that was when I received the Holy Spirit. 17 years, 15 years old, He came into me and boy, I was crying. But this time I was like, where's the fear? Where's the need to prove myself? Where's the the drive and the ambition to build big, to be well-known? All gone! But in that place, I want to please the Father. I just want to do what I see the Father does. And changed my life but guess where i received that was in my brokenness in the lowest season of my life where people whom i thought were my friends whom i have helped them to start new things when they were down i helped them up they were supposed to be, be, be my brothers but no longer were my eyes on my brothers because when you can stay within the father's arms who cares what do your brothers say about you? I know I'm God's favorite child and you too. You too. I've got my technique color code and you can have yours too. I'm my father's favorite. And he slowly he changed everything. Right, I'm not saying that once you have that, you don't know anything, right? This is not the father heart message, all right? So when you know that you're about your father's business, guess what? You want to grow the father's business. Guess what? You want to make sure that the business enterprise is expanding, that souls are being saved, that you know funds are going to where they need to, to go, and I'm about my father's business. I was trying, a hard time trying to describe to people what I do. Are you a pastor? Yes, but more than that. Are you doing this? Yes, but more than that. So I was trying for a long time until God just said, just tell, tell people, you're about my business. Oh, okay, I'm in family business. I'm a family business. My father's the boss. But transform me. He opened up the word. I read the Bible now, all I could see is just the father and his words back to me. The church becomes a family, not just an army, not just you know an enterprise. It's a family. You become my brothers. I'm not like I'm your father, you're my my son. No, we are brothers. I can be an elder brother. I can share with you my experience, my learnings and all that. But we are all family and it transformed my entire Christian experience when I was going through a dry season. So as I close this morning, God does not lead you into the wilderness to harm you. Four points. He deals with sin so you can stand faultless before Him. He reveals His provision. He trains you for war. And He opens up His Word and His heart to you. And I want to say this. The true church will not stay in the wilderness. You go through it, you don't live there. But you will come out like Jesus in the strength of God. Church, the dry places will bring you into a deeper intimacy with Him And you will no longer view him as being far away. On the other hand, you will come to know him in closeness and confidence. And there's one verse that sums up my message as I close, which is Song of Songs 8 verse 5. King Solomon in all his folly and his wisdom, he's the wisest king and and the most foolish king. But he wrote this in the Song of Songs, which is is like the apex of uh, his revelation of wisdom. He says, who is this? that comes up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved. Wow. Even though the story of the Song of Songs is all about the bride and the bridegroom. There are four ways we can read the book. I'm not here to teach you the Song of Songs, but one of my favorite ways, in fact, my favorite way to read the book is that I am part of the bride of Christ and Jesus was my bridegroom king. And the bride goes through a season of preparation for her wedding, and there's a wedding coming, friends. And the Bible tells us, at the end, this is the end of the story. It's not how strong the bride became. It's not how militant the bride became. Now, I, I believe in the masculinity of the gospel because if we switch it a bit too much, it became a bit soft. Not my, not, not my cup, cup of tea. But my point is this. There has to be this balance between, you know, being a soldier and being a lover, right? And this is how the story ends the last place before the bride became ready was in the wilderness and the author by the revelation from above saw her and there she was she, she was no longer a young lit, a, a little girl where her breasts weren't developed which means that she has got no nourishment within her now she's a mature bride but she wasn't walking like you know she was somebody she's leaning can I borrow you as, G- as Jesus for, for a while? This is the posture by which all of us as Christians should come out from our well, well, wilderness, our desert experience, our dry place. Who is this? Do you, do, you, do you know what that means? Inseparable. Listening to the heartbeat of Jesus. Togetherness. And if my bridegroom my husband is on is on my side where's the fear where's the intimidation audrey can come against me but john will fight him are you with me who is this and friends i want to end by by saying this god will have a bride coming out of the wilderness And the bride of Christ will be made up of people like you and me who have learned to lean on Christ for everything. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Your word is like bread to my soul. Your provision, I trust in no one else. Not the riches of man or what the bank can do or the economy of the day. I trust in you alone. You will fight my battles, not me defending myself, but you fighting on my behalf, going before me. My sins are washed away. And here I am, coming out from my wilderness, leaning on my beloved. Hallelujah.